Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcast Network. I'm Braden. I'm here with Jordan and Tyler. Guys, after 30 minutes of racing, Red Bull wins. Max is a two-asterisk time world champion. I am so sorry, you guys. I am so sorry this happened. But in the words of Elliot Stanty, long live Red Bull. The Japanese Grand Prix itself was pretty bland at best, I'd say. Uh, although there was a lot of excitement for me that I finally got to watch a race late at night, um, on the West Coast, that is. Uh, when the race finally got underway, it was about 1.30 my time. And there was 30 minutes left in the race, which was also something that uh, I was I, I took issue with and we'll get into later. But as I said, Max wins, Leclerc and Russell also on the podium in two and three. Uh, Tyler, buddy, you were praying for intermediates last time we were speaking, and boy, did you get them. What did you think of this race? Uh, um, I mean, I don't know why they restarted the race with so little time left. I mean, I get that you travel to a country, you have 100, 200,000 fans there that have paid to be there. You want them to be able to get their money's worth, and that is a genuinely good thing for F1 and for their product to be able to have a race, but did it, did this race stand out in any way this year? No. Um, I think that, well, I know we all know that I'm not a big Verstappen fan, but I'm happy that he was able to sew it up the championship the way he did this race, because I think that that last lap, I don't know if you want to get into this now or later, but that last lap summed up the whole season for stopping dominating Ferrari fucking up and Perez being there to help his teammate as the best F1 teammate on the field. Um, I think that that is what I took out of this race, but I stayed up as well to watch this. And I was very excited all Saturday to watch it. And then we got a first lap and I was very happy that we were starting on wets. I was, yes, I did talk about this last week. Um, very, very excited about it because anyone can win. Anyone can, can, um, have their day, have their moment on wet tires. But then once, like I went to bed, once the McLaren race director said, this race probably won't start. I was like, okay, I'll go to bed. And then I was shocked when I woke up in the morning and had to watch a race or got to watch a race. Got to watch a race. Jordan, you stayed up, you watched the whole race. And by whole, I mean all 30 minutes of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I did. I stayed up for it. Although I won't lie to you. I, I think I probably nodded off a few times during that 30 minute window. Cause a lot of it was very pedestrian. Um, but there were some interesting, you know, battles. I, I, if you can call them that most of them never came to anything. I thought Alonzo, uh, was the most interesting driver out there, uh, in terms of the strategy that, the uh, Alpine employed with him. And the fact that, you know, he pitted very late, gave up track position, but was able to get himself, uh, an extra spot back uh, because of that and ended up basically tying with Vettel, which was a pretty impressive finish there. He finished, they, they literally crossed line at the same time, came down to the photo to check. Then it was like a thousandth of a second or whatever. But, but you um, said he's been good on the rain, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think Tyler's right. Like when this race got started and uh, as a little context, you know, I was out on the Island. I was with my parents, uh, our parents and uh, they've never, my mom, mom has never watched formula one. I've referenced her once on this show before we, we watched some like YouTube videos of pit stops and stuff, which she was fascinated by. And I was trying to like get her into the sport and be like, Hey, this is something, you know, it's kind of cool. And she was interested in it. So she was like, all right, I'll stay up. This is really cool. It's a 10 o'clock start. <laughs> this will be great. Uh, and we're sitting there on the couch and everything's, you know, set to go. And I've prepped her. I'm like, look, the start's going to be the most exciting. There's going to be lots of things going on. And the start happens. And literally you can see one car. Everyone else is hidden in the mist. The first corner comes around like rain to give her full credit though. She was the first one to go, that car is going backwards because you could see Vettel had already spun out. And then all of a sudden we were red flagged and she went to bed. And unfortunately that was the entire experience for her. Now I stayed up. Uh, I was, uh, I, w- I was glad I did, I guess, but I won't also lie and tell you that I, I went to bed knowing Max had won the race, but I did not know he had won because I did not stay up for all of the additional drama. I was so tired by the end of it. I was like, ah, screw it. This was, why did we bother with how this race played out anyway? And I went to bed yeah. and then when I woke up in the morning, I was like, wait, he's champion. What happened? Oh, right. Of course. Leclerc got a penalty and that the math all came out. So I, I, I kind of, I think that sort of sums up how the whole thing ended for a lot of people. Very anticlimactic. Yeah, uh, but it yeah. was it it was uh, nice as a Verstappen hater. Again, 
appreciate how good he is for the sport and how good of a driver he is to not really get to enjoy the moment. I was a fan of that. Yeah, definitely didn't enjoy it. Didn't know he'd won. And obviously no idea. I mean, we've talked a few times. I I, I wanted to touch on this because we've talked a few times in the last couple of weeks about kind of like, I don't know, like the ham handed or whatever turn of phrase you want to use for like how F1 has dealt with a few different situations. We talked uh, a few weeks back about like all the grid penalties and how it just was such a mess. And it just, it felt very clumsy. And then we had, you know, a race, I think that ended two or three races ago too, where it was like at the end, we didn't know exactly whether per- it was two races ago, whether Perez had won or not, because maybe he was under investigation and here we are again. Um, and it brings into light, like some of the challenges that I think exist in a sport, obviously that happens this quickly, luckily, unlike last year decisions weren't made during the race that may or may not have affected. I mean, this was also literally the last lap, but it definitely hurts the like, as Tyler says, like sort of the moment, the that iconic winning moment um, that you get in so many other sports, you know, the, the final field goal or whatever, or even last year at the end of the race, as, as shitty as it was, it was still like a climactic moment. In uh, the car at, radio. 100%. In the car radio moment. Yeah, and, and we all know Christian Horner has that patented, you know, Max Verstappen, you are the champion of the world, which is the same thing he said. <laughs> you know, 10 years ago to, to Vettel three times in a row. Um, but he didn't get to do that. And in fact, it was actually even more funny to watch it kind of play out. I watched it back on PVR um, uh, just before we got on here. And it was just funny because you can see in like the post-race interview where they're like, well, you haven't won, but it was a good race. Out of the corner of his eye, he's seeing his pit crew all starting to jump up and down because they know that he's yeah. actually won. Then they send him away. They start talking to Perez and then they kind of interrupt that interview and bring him back and very clumsily be like, hey, you're the winner. And he's like, oh, that's great. And then he goes in the quiet room. He's still not convinced he's the winner. And he's like, wait, I did win or I didn't win. I did win. Oh, I did win. And then they take him into that little, (laughs) you watch this part? They take him into that stupid little room. Plush little red throne (laughs) with this throne thing. That is the stupidest. I've never (laughs) seen that before. I I don't know if that's like a Japanese Grand Prix thing. They had that room prepped. That room was ready to coronate the crown. And he sat there for like 30 seconds. Then he goes, kind of lonely in here dumb i laughed out loud when he said that it was kind of an endearing moment for uh max verstappen was when he was just like kind of lonely in here because he was there for a good 15 20 seconds sitting at a chair in the most awkward pose you could do where he's just like am i supposed to watch this yeah you did not want to be there can i just go back and drink the water guys yeah there's no way he was tired though there's no way he was tired from that race no the 30 minutes they probably were just at that moment where they're like settled in and ready for the next 45 minutes or so of of the race that that it was kind of yeah i don't know even as a fan watching it like a day later i don't know i I watched it and I was like, this is, I already know. Cause I, it's impossible now with the, the blow up of the fans to avoid spoilers. So I knew that Max had yeah, nice. won the championship. So I knew in that last lap that something had to have happened to Leclerc for Perez. So I just thought Perez was going to pass Leclerc, but then for Leclerc to make it again, a Ferrari moment where he screws up, he has mm-hmm. a mental error, a driver error and gives the championship to max let's be let's be reasonable here max was going to win the championship there was no doubt in anyone's mind five races ago that max was the champion but to in to have it happen this way it's almost poetic to to speak the whole season i don't know if i agree though that it was like a ferrari being ferrari kind of mistake i think that like charles and 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 paris were fighting all race long and, and and right to that final lap like i think that's just a driver pushing too hard and obviously pushing beyond what those like conditions really could handle. If we'd had dry conditions, Perez probably would have passed him earlier anyway. Um, but it was a really good fight. And I thought, you know, he, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't knock him as much for making the mistake. He, he, he went off, he came back on. It's one turn away. You're going to take your, at that point, you just got to gamble and hope you don't get penalty for it because you concede the position and know you've lost or you try to fight for it to the end. I don't know. I, I didn't think that was the biggest part of it, to be honest. But, but I do want to say really quickly on Perez. I think, Braden, you, you said Russell was on the podium earlier. It is Perez. Uh, it was just a mistake. Oh, my apologies. Said it out yeah. loud. No, no, no. It's okay. But Perez has really been the true like wingman this season. And we talked about that a little bit last year in terms of like Max hasn't had a teammate who could ride with him, compete with him and push him. I mean, Perez most likely now will finish second in points. Um, It's very impressive. He's a very good driver. He's put uh, some unbelievable um, 
races together. He obviously he's been on the top of the podium. He was last week. He is a very, very competitive driver for Red Bull and he makes Max better because of situations like this, where he can put himself, he can become a factor in a race. Even if he's not going to win the race, he, he, he makes it more of a one-two punch for Red Bull, the same way Mercedes was with Bottas for a long time, which helped Lewis. Um, I, I think a lot of times we don't give the other driver credit when you have a champion on a team who's been kind of dominant, but it matters that you have a second driver, I think, there at Red Bull. It isn't a strategy uh-huh. thing all the time, but I think it, it helps. Well, also, we I think we've talked a lot about Perez because we do respect, like, let's talk about a guy who probably wouldn't have a seat two or three years ago mm-hmm. if Gasly and Albon don't kind of ruin their chances at Red Bull. It doesn't open. He was out. He was out of yep. the sport. Yep. He had nowhere to drive. And then his last two races, I think he was one, in one. first place, had an engine failure, and then won the last race. And that got him that seat at Red Bull because Albon wasn't pulling That's his right. weight, because That's Gasly right. before wasn't pulling his weight. So this is a guy who who now is going to finish second in the driver's championship points who didn't have a car two years ago. Yeah, 100%. No, big, big credit for him. And look, he's also going to have helped Red Bull secure the constructors too this year, um, more yeah. than likely. And, and that's really impressive too in terms of what he, he's been able to do. Because as I say, Max has had a lot of drivers who just weren't quite at his level. And that's the truth. I mean, no, nothing against Gasly, nothing against Albon, but where they were in their development as drivers, Max was always going to be ahead of them. And Let's go back to even Ricardo. Go yep, back to Ricardo. Sure. Like, I, I think the main problem with having a Verstappen and a Ricardo combo at Red Bull was the personalities. Max Verstappen has that personality where it's we, we're racing, and if we're not racing, we're talking about how to be better at the next race. Yeah. And whereas Ricardo is more of a, I'll oh, we'll just do it. We'll just get in the car and go. We'll just get in the car and go. That's how we race. So I think Perez is more on the same type of mentality that Verstappen's at, where it's just we're, we're talking about racing or we're or we're racing. Hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Um, guys, we spoke a little bit about this on, on the Monta episode, but how do we deal with races in the rain? Because it's excruciating to have to wait. I mean, safety-wise, you have to. You have yeah. to. It's not safe for those vehicles at such high speeds to be doing the, that kind of thing. But the, you know, in other sports, we have you know rain delays and then rescheduling or we have an option options for those kinds of things it's challenging the sport where it is a week to week you know you, you see that less in football but tyler like you said too the fans this this is a whole fan base that hasn't had this race in japan for uh, a couple of years now um and, and for them to all be there and present to it and then you know only get 30 minutes out of something what do we do i know and that's i think I think that's why they did the 30 minute race. And obviously like as unfortunate as it is, as race fans, it has to be done because you want your fans to get it. But even if we use, if we talk about NASCAR, so NASCAR, if they don't do a race on the Sunday, they'll just delay it till the Monday. But if there's rain to begin with, and they, they put the race on essentially a red flag. I don't, I don't, I've tried to think about this. And I think it's because it's a shorter track, obviously in NASCAR, it's just a circle, but they have those giant, like four or five giant, track like cars that just dry the track so i don't know i've never seen one of those at f1 and maybe it's because the races are like five kilometers long or something like that but i don't know why they don't utilize those more often and just have them going like once the rain stops obviously if it's going to continue raining those things are just not doing anything but if the rain had stopped like it kind of did why wouldn't you just give like 15 minutes of just having those drive around the track for a little bit just to dry up a bit um, but I'm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you solve it. Well, yeah, I think I don't, I don't have an answer for that obviously either. I think that it is unfortunate because, uh, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, you want to, you, you want to allow the conditions to be safe, but you also know that like the threshold for where that is is going to be different for every driver right there are some drivers who are going to say hey i'm totally fine driving on the wet tires in certain conditions and then there's guys who are like i don't want to be out there this track is opposes different challenges than let's say like than monza did or even last last week in singapore we also had some rain um the difference here being we have a lot of sort of not steeply banked but banked corners and spaces where the track is not even and therefore you get what they're calling rivers where like water is running down over like a two meter uh, sort of se- section of track and it's literally running water. Oof. So it's not just puddles or sitting water that can slowly kind of be blown away by cars driving over it 
you know, in, in successive laps, which is obviously what they try to do when they do like the formation laps following a rain delay, um, where they're just trying to get the cars out there to move some of that water themselves, but this is consistent water and you're getting the hydroplaning, which is exactly what we saw with Carlos signs there. He just caught too much hydroplaning and with these cars, especially this season. And I think this is also part of the challenge because we're dealing with new regulations with all that downforce, the car is right. We've talked about this. This car is creating like a suction effect with the, with the track. That's how they're keeping um, on the track basically uh, at these high speeds. And the problem that occurs with the hydroplaning is it just opens up enough of that suction that the car literally has a moment for too much air to get underneath it. And it just lifts and then they lose control. Cause there's not the, the traction is just completely gone. Um, and so the challenge is it's safety at the same time. I think Tyler talked about this last week. It's like, why have wet tires if you're not willing to sometimes use them and we did see them now we also saw following the safety car how quickly every team wanted to get off them and onto the inters because they know the competitive advantage of it and we also saw i would say and this is a different part of it like great strategy by some teams we're going to go to them right away we're going to give up track position but we know everybody else is going to be catching up to us and you know it worked for a couple teams including vettel who i think made the most got the biggest sort of advantage out of doing that i think he jumped up to 10th or something from wherever he was near the back because of that early pit stop and then on the flip side teams like haas who just were too late and Schumacher was just left there exposed uh, as every other team all of a sudden started catching back up to him. So um, it's tricky. The one other thing, obviously, I wanted to talk about, and it affects Tyler's favorite driver, you know, was the, the whole situation with Gasly. Um, mm-hmm. Gasly obviously uh, ended up at the front end receiving end of a first a piece of uh, advert um, coming off of the Carlos Sainz crash, which I think there's a conversation to begin with there about how that stuff's secured because we don't want giant pieces of, you know, vinyl or cardboard flying out onto the track in the best of conditions, let alone wet conditions where they literally can't see anything. He was blind getting back to the pits and thank God he didn't have an incident there, but then he had to catch up to the safety car. And the question was asked, why didn't they just go to red flag right there? They didn't, they went to a safety car. He came out and he got, he, he was later disciplined for for speeding to get back to the back of the grid which you would do on most conditions but under these conditions obviously he wasn't allowed to do that and there was a tractor on the track and the reason that obviously this became such a big deal is because in 2014 we literally had a driver die when he under the almost exact same circumstances at japan jules bianchi was following a safety car lost control in a hydroplane kind of situation spun out and hit a rest, a recovery vehicle, like one of these tractors and died, um, in Japan. <laughs> so I think it really hit home for a lot of those drivers. And obviously we saw how angry Gasly was rightfully. So I think to have seen it, Gasly's that, a really good buddy of that fellow. Exactly. And, and it yeah. was personal and, and meant, you know, it was, it was, it, and the, and I think it's good that because we were red flag, we actually got to talk about it and deal with it. But I also think F1 should have and could have done a better job immediately addressing it because they didn't do a very good job answering the questions of like why the hell that thing was out there. Um, And I'm not sure yet how they're going to answer that, but uh, we'll see. Well, we didn't even know, like you and I talked live when we were watching the race and you sent me the video of it. I had no idea because they didn't show it and they didn't show it. So when they did show it, I actually got a little angry when they were talking about it because Johnny Herbert was blaming Gasly almost fully for it. And like that, it was kind of like an old man yells at cloud moment where I'm like, what, why even have it out? It's a red car. You know, all the cars are going to be like drivers out in about 30 seconds. So why are you rushing to get your tractors out there when you know, no one's going to be on the track for a good 20 minutes. Like it just seems so crazy to me that there was a rush to have it out there when you know, other guys are on the track. Like it just, I don't know. I think Gasly's in the right now. They penalized him for speeding, which I guess is just an FIA type rule. So they have to do that. But a hundred percent, there's no reason that like, imagine if it was a person out there and gas, here's a question. Like, here's a question for you, Tyler. Do, do you think that the penalty is as simple as saying, Oh, we're just reading this by the letter of the law. Or do you think that there was also a little bit of like ass covering occurring there? Cause it felt the way that it would came yeah. down that it was a little bit like the FIA being like, well, he shouldn't have been out there in the first place. He shouldn't yeah. have been speeding like that. It wouldn't have been dangerous. But it's like, well, the, the guy has the problem him out there. This is right back to where back to where pit. we were talking last week. Like, sorry to cut you off there, but right as we talked last week is that the drivers need their own union, their own person to fight back with the FIA in cases like this. Like, there was one point in this race where I, I also was confused at the end because I only thought there was a maximum of like 13 points that were allowed to give it away for yeah. first place in this race. 
So at the end, when they Max got full points, um, I forget which announcer it was, but he was like, I don't quite understand it, but that's Formula One for you. Yeah, that is not God. something that is okay that's to say. Reporters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, like that is crazy that we're at that point yeah. where the, even the announcers, the professionals that do your like talk about your sport for you live, don't know what's going on or what could happen. It's it's insane that that is happening. Yeah, I think we're still seeing the tales of Abu Dhabi. That's what's occurring here. We're, we're having the sort of like this overemphasis on um, uh, like uh, contingency plans. The fact that there is like four different systems for or different thresholds for like points to be assigned already adds to the complication, right? Because it, it's all by percentage. Oh, if, if 10% of the race has been done, if 15% of the race has been done, it's like, guys, either you have a complete yeah. race and you have yeah. full points or you have a not complete race and you don't have full points. That's as simple. Yeah. I don't care if it's five laps or 40 laps. If it yeah. doesn't get completed, it's no points or whatever, but just make it that way. Or you say, or you say, if the race happens, regardless of the duration, points are awarded. Like yeah. I, I, I understand yeah. the, they're trying to like, please everybody. And it's all trying to be this like, but you're right, Tyler. It makes it just such a clumsy, clumsy kind of product. And unfortunately, you know, it doesn't look good. And we're in like a huge, huge era of evolution for F1, right? We're seeing the cars change right now. We're seeing all of these rules and things that people maybe didn't even think to, to have, there was no precedent for this. There's no precedent for that. Um, You know, we're seeing uh, even qualifying change with sprint races you know, is there an option for this to be just a timed race? There's so many different questions that are flying around F1 right now. And I think that's only going to continue. I don't, I, that's I, a, it's a dangerous thing to cater to your fans because the reason the fans are there is because they like the product you have. So when you start catering to them, to the new ones specifically, to the drive to survive era that we're in right now, but once yeah. you start catering to them, it's you're going to lose control at some point. But yet you've got that narrative already displaced here of, you know, that's just F1. That's just the nature of F1. And that's frustrating about it. And we obviously saw at the end of Abu Dhabi, that entire thing, take away a championship from Lewis Hamilton. And there was a bunch of, there was two things that happened. I'll say this quickly, Jordan, because I know you got something to say. Um, Two things that happened in this race that kind of caught me off guard was that, well, that one that we already talked about the, the Formula One for you, but also to hear the teams go, stay out there we're hoping for a yellow flag yeah it was kind of like weird to me yeah. it's like okay well we're just gonna wait until brady gets hurt and then we'll plan on winning this game like yeah. it's but you know it's a strange it's, thing you know what though i don't know if it me, is yeah. i think it all it is is it you're right it, it is weird but at the same time it is it's just pulling the curtain back this is what they're always doing they're always thinking yes. it's just in a lot of sports in a lot of sports there's like weird quirks to the rules of to the games that teams are always kind of hoping might come into effect, but they don't, they can't, right. or they don't share that. And in this sport, because we do get the access to the radio, sometimes it slips and you hear a little bit of the like actual uh, thinking. And you're right. I think there's a lot of teams, especially the guys near the bottom who make decisions with like the, the, in, in case of worst scenario, like yeah. we'll do, we'll do the opposite of what everyone else does just because it might get us something knowing yeah. that if they do what everyone else does, they'll lose anyway. And that's what Haas does, right? Like they often will be the, the one to try something different. And sometimes it pays off. Usually it doesn't. But when it does pay off, it pays off big. Like that's why you get your Ricardo wins in the last year, your Gasly win in Monza, like things that happen to the top five, top six cars where your, your bottom 10 guys get to, to boost up into that spot. Like, and and, uh, it's not an unfortunate part of the sport. It's just part of the sport, but it's just a weird thing to work, to, to plan based off of some failure in within the the race. Like, it's just a weird thing. So I wanted to, I wanted to interject here that just take us off track for a, for a second Uh, in Tyler's and and Puya's show, they'll, they'll call a timeout. This would be my version of a timeout in this one, just because it it, it made me think about this. Well, you're not talking about red flag. Yeah, we're not talking about qualifying this this week because it was very pedestrian and very boring. Yeah. But I actually, it, it, it had me thinking, we talked a few weeks ago about like ways you could kind of try to make qualifying a little bit more competitive or a little bit different, right? We talked about like, would you, yes. why don't you like do a reverse grid or something? And we kind of poked holes in that, but I had a new thought. And so I wanted to just run this up the flagpole, see what you guys think. I think that the timing structure of qualifying is backwards. I think that the quality one, where you have the most cars on the track right now is obviously the longest. And the point is that they want to have time for the most cars to run. 
right? Mm -hmm. And what you end up with is uh, the Red Bulls or the Ferraris and sometimes the Mercedes. They get out there, they stomp a really fast lap. They know they're safe. They hit the pits and they just let everybody else run. I would argue that you should reverse the timing order and make the first qualifying where you have the most cars the shortest. Force everyone to make a decision about what they're going to do sooner. Give them less warm-up laps. Give them less time to sort of get their tires up to temperature. Give them less time to sort of dilly-dally in the pits. Get out there. Get a lap. Get out of the way because if you don't, your window of opportunity is going to close. It'll give some of the weaker teams a chance to sometimes somebody gets, Yuki has a really great first run and then everyone else would be catching up because there's more time on the clock. The second one, you can keep at the same time, but the third one should be the longest. You have the fewest cars on the track, make it, give them the most time to, to run as many laps as you want, because it also allows some of the teams who are like on the bubble that just got into qualifying three, sometimes they need more warm up time or more setup time. And I think that would add a different level of competitiveness to it. Right now it's the longest one is when you got the most cars. The shortest one is when it's the most mm -hmm. competitive. I think you invert it. Do you think it, that would create a bigger gap between the top and the bottom teams though? I think it would allow for more surprises and for a few more teams, like some of the top teams would make one mistake in quality one and they'd be out in, as opposed yeah. to making a mistake and still having time to go back and fix it. Whereas you have to be good right off the hop. And yeah. it would it would reward ambitious risk taking situations. Somebody tries a different tire from the other teams. Like I think it would just reward uh, that like that aggressive approach early, as opposed to the safest route. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That's a good idea. Um, now you mentioned in in that uh, tire warning. Now the other thing that was interesting that I heard from the announcers, but they're getting rid of those tire warming the blankets um, blankets. Yeah. So I haven't looked it up yet, but one, why? And two, does that mean that everyone's tires are going to be cold to start a race? Yes. Well, Ooh. not to start a race, but to hit the grid. Yes. So the, the formation lap will be a much more critical thing as far as getting tires up to temperature, yeah. but they're removing the safety blankets because they don't want to, they, they don't like the, idea that there is a there there is it's impossible to to um like like unify the the temperature across the grid with that anyway so right now it's like maybe someone's done something to one of their tire blankets and obviously they'll be checking and doing things like that but like it it adds an element of uh, unpredictability or like unregulation or whatever uh, deregulation to that system that I don't think they like. I think they want everybody to start on the same condition of tire is the idea. Now, some guys are on used tires, some guys are on new tires, whatever that's from qualifying, but I think they're just trying to remove an element uh, in terms of what the tires. Now, to be fair, also, we are getting new tire compounds that will try to be uh, a little more lively and quicker to get up to temperature, but we'll see. Sure. But the, it, I actually kind of, I like that as everybody starts kind of on, I don't want to say cold tires, but essentially cold tires because it will like some guys warm them up a lot faster than other guys. Yep. So if you have a veteran, like a, a Vettel who won't be in next year, but um, a guy Alonzo like that or Perez who do yeah. their tires really well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Those guys are going to get, they'll have a better first 10 laps than someone like Sunata. Not only coming. off the top, but remember, those blankets are on the, every set of tire prior yeah. to pit stop, too. So coming out of the pits, you're going to be on cold tires as opposed to lukewarm tires uh, in some in, in some conditions, right? So that'll probably have guys trying to get further on tires because they know they're going to have to go to something cold. Yeah, it'll definitely change the uh, the strategy with tires. That's a, that, That'll definitely be part of it. Oh my God. I was about to say, I'm getting a little tired of this conversation, but <laughs> we are going to leave it there. And Tyler, when we come back, uh, the moment you've been waiting for. Hello, football fans and fans of the Ordinary Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Walzak. I am here with Puya Ricey, and we are starting a podcast called Running Down the Clock. Each week, we're going to bring to you a little bit of football talk, player news, controversies, headlines, all the big plays, and then football action that you can handle. Every Thursday for the rest of the season, we look forward to you listening to us on the Ordinary Podcast Network. All right, Tyler, Pierre Gasly is on the move. To Alpine, and you will be on the move to get a new hat. I will be getting a new hat as soon as they make the first hat. I'm going to be the guy waiting Ooh. in line. Uh, 
I'm I'm so I'm gonna be super happy to wear that blue and pink. Um, I'm extremely happy that he's going to Alpine Rocon. We saw yesterday finish fourth. He's going to a car that can compete in the top six, hopefully next year with what I don't know what their spending is, but um, I I I even thinking about it yesterday, I was so happy. You can see his frustration where he is now with the way he's talking back to people and stuff. Like he's ready to go, and I think they're gonna get. I think Ocon and Gasly are going to be a force on that Alpine team. I still don't understand why Alonso's jumping ship because they're doing so well right now. Um, and he's going to have to, Alonso's going to have to go to a team where is he going to be driver one or is it going to be Lawrence uh, Stroll who's driver one? And he's just kind of got to be there. Be so Lawrence, Lawrence will start driving for them. Like it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be strange, but oh my God, I'm so happy. I can't wait to get that Alpine hat. Was he driver mm-hmm. one at Alpine though, to be fair? Like, isn't that, wasn't that kind of Ocon's team? He was the kid of the future. Sure. But maybe that's yeah. why he left. Yeah. I think he left because they definitely think that there were some management and him disagreements. I think that that was a personal thing more than a competitive thing, but you're right. Like definitely a step down. And for Gasly, I mean, it was like the worst kept secret for the last few weeks. We knew yeah. it was going to happen, but then it was like, well, it won't it because you know, you get guys like helmet Marco being like, well, the only way we let to happen is if Colton Herter comes. Well, then that didn't yeah. happen and enough off he goes. And I now, guess. We should also talk because it's it. There's a trickle down here. We also now know who's going to drive for AlphaTauri, and it's Nick DeVries, who we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, fill in for Albon. This is a guy who's been in the Mercedes system. They've poached him, got him over here uh, to drive now for AlphaTauri. I think that's a huge win for the Red Bull development side of it. I mean, it hurts a few, I'm sure, of the younger drivers in the Red Bull Academy. But what has Red Bull ever given a shit about their young drivers? They worry about the most competitive person. Period. Um, but that's going to be an interesting lineup. Obviously, they're keeping Yuki for one more year, and uh, that's just for some continuity. But he's going to have a new teammate who's clearly competitive and already has more points than Latifi does on the season through one race. And that's not hard. That's hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what do you mean? How many points does DeVries have? Uh, well, I think he has three. He finished in the top okay. 10. Well, <laughs> hey, well, Latifi, Latifi yesterday got two, got two last, points. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe, okay, going into yesterday, he had more points. <laughs> maybe Latifi's got him or tied him. I don't think so, though. I have to double check the standings. Oh, but uh, but he definitely uh, showed in that one chance he got in that Williams car that he's incredibly fast and he has a gre- incredibly um, good instincts and he will be a good driver there. Uh, basically, we're down to two now, though, right? There's two seats left open. We know who everybody else is. Uh, is going to be driving for Piastri with McLaren. Obviously, Ricardo's on the outs, and I don't see a path currently where Ricardo gets a seat next year. So sorry to our uh, beloved Ricardo fans out there, but they it's just not going to happen. I don't know if he ends up driving somewhere else next year or if he, like for another uh, formula or whatever. There's, <laughs> there's rumors that he is going to go to Mercedes as their um, test driver. Yeah, so that and that rumor has been around for a while. That's a that's a that's a I'd like to still make a paycheck kind of job move because there's not going to be really a space for him, but maybe they're looking, you know, at an opportunity for him in one of their other sort of systems. Um, but at least for him, you know, you get to go sit in, in a competitive simulator for the first time in a while. Does um, he think that Hamilton retires, he gets that spot? I don't know what I don't know what Ricardo thinks. A Ricardo, I don't know what Ricardo was thinking when he left Red Bull. I don't know what he was thinking when he left. Uh, what was then um, Renault's was, slash Alpine, was, and I don't know what he was thinking when he went to McLaren because clearly that seat wasn't the right fit for him either. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if anyone knows what Ricardo's thinking. Yeah, what a waste! Like, like not like I don't want to say a waste, but a waste of talent based on his moves. Like, if he had just stayed at Red Bull, a guy who definitely, a guy who definitely was like a, a championship contender. Uh, earlier in his career and definitely was one of those guys like that the same way i think we look at russell or we look at norris and it's like oh man that the the ceiling for this guy we can't even tell yet what it could be yeah but you know that sometimes it just doesn't work out circumstance uh, situation as uh, you know choices (laughs) it's how it goes right all the promise in the world and it just hasn't worked out but you know he's a charismatic guy he's definitely grabbed the attention of a lot of fans because of that and and that's value to his brand and we'll see i guess what's next for him obviously latifi is also on the out slightly less charismatic human being um but i don't think he'll be uh back i think this is the last we'll have seen of nicholas latifi in formula one um for sure now the 1000 percent. just you could you can pen that in he'll never be back in f1 oh here's my question uh i'm I'm taking over Braden's seat for just a moment because i want Braden's opinion on this too if you had to 
uh, put money down or if you had to sort of like take a guess at the last two seats, we have sort of three names floating, right? So obviously Mick Schumacher is still very much in the conversation for both of these seats um, just because, you know, there's still some brand attached to that. Um, and then we also have heard of Nico, uh, Nico Hulkenberg is the other option right now that, that Haas is looking at and then where Williams ends up. But if you were going to say where you think the last two seats fill out, do you have a guess right now, Tyler? I think Schumacher goes back to Haas. Um, I think that that's a repairable relationship. Um, plus his name is huge. Like his, we can't get past that last name. Like that's synonymous with F1 racing. Um, the Williams seat. I don't know, to be honest. I, I think it goes to somebody young. Um, Largent. Is that his name? Yeah. The, the kid F2. I think Largent gets it. If his name's still out there, I, but it's, I don't know if it'll be Williams and Hulkenberg doesn't seem like a good fit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's the same way that well, like Williams and Ricardo doesn't really work. It's a stopgap, yeah. you know. It'd be just sticking a plug in something there, and it's so, not what those it's not what those teams are designed for, right? They're so, they're yeah. builders. So if you if you want to play like tea leaf prediction here, the one thing I did think was interesting is that Gunter Steiner was quoted this week as saying, "I'm done working with rookies," meaning. I don't think you're going to see a new driver to Formula One in that Haas seat next year. That doesn't mean Mick Schumacher's not there, but it's, I think it's between him and Hulkenberg at this point, because I think that they're, they're ready to take the next step that Haas seemed poised to do earlier in this season. And obviously, you know, it's been a bit of a bumpy season for them. They, they clearly built a very good car early and then weren't able to continue to develop it as everyone else passed them. But we had such promise for them. If you remember those first couple of races, it was like, oh, whoa, sure. look at the pace Magnus yeah. and, and Haas and the, have. I think Schumacher is the guy that comes back. We talked about with Ricardo, you know, if only he stayed, right? Like, yeah. th- there's a seat here. He's had success here. Just continue to build off what, have you, what you know. Don't go into a completely new car design, car build, everything. You know, and like you said, even if Schumacher doesn't, on the business side, if, if he doesn't even race, there's such value to that organization that... Even watching the Netflix series, the narrative there is Haas needs support. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a team that struggles to find that kind of support. And and I I, I just think it's I think it'll probably be Schumacher again. It ha- I, I don't I Gunther Steiner is such a weird character to me. Like, who is he to say that? What has he done to get the the notoriety to be like, I'm not working with rookies anymore? All right, fine, then you go. And we'll keep these, we'll bring these in kids a coming in because yeah, this yeah. is a young kid's sport. Like the guys that are coming in the youngest are the ones that are the fastest. Like we've like first stop and came in at what 21 and everyone was afraid of him immediately. Like, so I don't know why he thinks he can say it. I, it's so frustrating for me to hear him say that. Uh, let's just hold on a second. <laughs> Max Verstappen, number one, came in at 17 and number two at F1. Was- yeah, youngest driver ever, and they set a Max Verstappen rule: you got to be eighteen or nineteen now to do it. Okay, then yeah. Max Verstappen Even further was my point. special. Okay, this is a different guy. Look, two-time world champion, different animal. Lando but Norris, I, I, George I Russell, forget, all these young yeah, kids. You can't forget Look, the Astros. How many? <laughs> how many? How many, how many races have either of them won? Don't you know what? Keep Max's name out of your mouth. <laughs> Well, who is Gunther Steiner to say that? Like, come you're on. Right. You're right. I, I know. I, I know. I completely agree with you. It's silly. It's all silly. And look, it's just a, it, it's headline grabbing. He right? should That's be out looking for the next big rookie, not totally. trying to rely on Hulkenberg to get him. A <laughs> he thought champion. he was. He had Mazepin and Schumacher as two rookies last year. Yeah, yeah, How's yeah. that go? Those, both those guys were there to sell, to get Haas more money so they can even yep. stay in the sport. Those are the 100%. only two reasons. That's the only, 100%. that was the falter of Mazepin was that he was never supposed to be in a car because he wasn't good enough, Yeah. but he had the seat because of who his dad was. Lance Stroll. And Lance Stroll as Get well. Okay, but again, <laughs> keep his name out of your mouth because he's no, still, I won't. he won Formula 2. Good for him. These What's he done are, in F1? Some of these what? are rich kids, but they're still- Flipped his car. That's the difference. You're right. Mazepin, complete, complete grifter. Latifi the same thing like they they have no business being there yeah I mean it's just frustrating to ah, I hate Haas I hate them speaking of money 
Yeah, Can I pivot down for a second? Budget. Yeah, the United talk about States. This. So we joked Prix? about, oh. we talked last, yeah, we're going to get there in a second. We <laughs> talked last week about this, you know, bombshell that was coming uh, concerning budget cap uh, violations from last season. And we talked that they were going to be announced on Wednesday. And then very strangely and conspicuously, that was postponed till after the Japanese Grand Prix, which just reeked of we didn't want, we don't want controversy. We don't Ooh. want controversy. Fine. So they postponed it. It came out this morning that there were two violations. Guess what? The two teams we expected, mm-hmm. Aston Martin and Red Bull. Hmm. What was that, Christian Horner, about this being complete defamation? No, they were under investigation, and they have both um, violated last year's uh, cap. The difference is that they have, con- they have classified Aston Martin's violation as procedural, meaning that it wasn't as much a money situation as certain things were not correctly reported or there was some issue in terms of how they filed their cap filing. They did not find evidence that there was, there was actually a cap breach so much. That's why they were being investigated, but there was a cap breach for Red Bull. It's considered minor, meaning it was probably to write around that 5% threshold could be a little over, could be a little under because the language around minor is still a little bit confusing. Um, We haven't seen the exact paperwork. We probably will this week is again, they just were issued their compliance letters today. Let me just point this out for those who are following along at home. The penalties for a minor cost breach in the rules could be any one of these things, a public reprimand, (laughs) a deduction in points, both for constructors and drivers, exclusion or suspension from stages of championship, limitations on the ability to conduct aerodynamic testing in the future and a reduction in the future cost cap for following years. Now, could be one of those, could be a bit of all of those, could be none of them, but those would be the penalties. Obviously, we talked last week that I think we all kind of agreed that we'd love to see them throw the book at them. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, especially considering it's they're still classifying it as minor. It's not going to happen. But I do think that it's possible we see one or two or three of these things implemented in some way. The biggest one, I think the most like easy one, it would hurt Red Bull. They would still feel upset and aggrieved by it, but I think that it's the least controversial for Formula One would be to obviously limit their ability to conduct aerodynamic testing uh, and and probably penalize them with some kind of cost cap, you know, uh, penalty into next season or even maybe this season. I'm not sure. Um, those would be the ones I'd expect because they kind of have like the least sort of controversial outcomes. It's possible maybe we see some kind of like penalty reduction, but obviously it would only take what, like two or three points removed from last season from for it to affect the outcome. And they're just not going to do that. No, no. No, it's going to be a nothing again. It's over. Everyone's already gone past it. They'll come out. They'll slap them on the wrist. And that's the it. only thing. The only thing I will say about the aerodynamic testing penalty is that they're already the lowest team now because they're going to win the constructors, and that's part of how this system is built, right? So the right. Wor- it's like the lottery. The worst, the last place team gets the most time in the wind tunnel, and then by hours and then that moves all the way up and the wind tunnel is incredibly highly regulated in formula one and for those who are just learning about formula one the thing i just found out which i thought was really fascinating i watched a like a youtube video on how they study the aerodynamics for these cars everything is done to scale so they don't actually put the car in a wind tunnel they don't even put like like the same size of car they build a scale model to like a 10th of the size of the car and they use that for all the aerodynamics for cost efficiency and they only Um, have a certain amount of time to do that Correct. That every team is given a certain number of hours that they can spend over the course of their development. So some teams have already been in the wind tunnel for next season because they're developing next season's car already. But all of that is very strictly regulated. So Red Bull will already have the lowest allotted amount of time um, in the wind tunnel. It could be like 10 hours, could be 15 hours, whatever it is. But that being reduced again does pose a competitive disadvantage to them. But of course, because we are not seeing a huge regulation change, they're going to take this car basically into next season and expect everyone else to kind of catch up to where they are. Remembering that Max Verstappen did just win the Japanese Grand Prix by 24 seconds. Yeah, no, I'm they're this, miles ahead. again. It's like not even like, I don't know. I, yeah, they cheated. You, I think Over. the best thing to do for them would be to like Run. reduce their salary. Take the, the, championship the, take the cap, take the cap down by whatever percent they went over next take season. Take the championship away. Yeah, anything will happen. I'm having such deja vu from last week when I said there are five races left, but (laughs) maybe now that there are four races left, we will continue to say, take the championship away. Uh, We still have another race to go next. Uh, It's not next weekend. It's two weeks from now, October 23rd. 23rd. 
the United States Grand Prix in Austin. This is a fun race. Lots of fanfare for this race. Uh, it's an afternoon North American. Uh, I think, am I reading this right? Uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time? 1 p.m. No, Mountain. 11, 11 a.m. Pacific time, I believe. 11 a.m. Pacific, one. noon uh, central. Is that right? Either way, it's in the afternoon on on Sunday on the 23rd, which is nice. Yeah, and if there's or rain, early. it might be in the evening. So, <laughs> yeah. Such a recording. We have people who rely on us to be like fact-based <laughs> information here. Let's slow, slow down. The United States Grand Prix runs Sunday, October 23rd, 12 p.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Yeah. start. That's oh. 1 p.m. Mountain Time for our Alberta listeners. And that's 3 p.m. in Ontario. Woo-hoo. So if you're watching midday it's, and it's and it's a it's a fairly new race. Uh, the first Grand Prix there was 2012. So it's this is the 10th. Uh, no, it's the 10th year since it's opened. But I don't obviously with the two COVID years that I don't know if they went there or not. But um, it's, it's a new kind race, of like it's, but this is not a new it's not a. It's not, um, it's new to this track, but the Grand, the United States Grand Prix has been run in different ways, uh, for right. quite a while, right? It's been, it's been driven all over the place, but from 2000 to 2007, it was in Indianapolis, which is pretty cool. I, yeah, I think this track, fun place for them to go back. Yes, 10 years ago, the circuit, circuit of the Americas, yes, yeah, circuit of America, the, the one we we're going to in Austin, the Austin race, uh, is still fairly new. Um, it also, this track is kind of funny because it takes little bits of, the rest of the tracks and put them kind of into one. Um, they take some of the same corners as uh, Silverstones. Um, they took some of the S curves from from the Japan Grand Prix that we just saw. Um, and it's 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 kind of funny how they've it's the classic American type of thing. They just take it and make it try to make it better. A little it's, bit it's essentially what they've done. It's bigger. It's definitely bigger. Uh, yeah, it is, and obviously, it's going to be another track where flat-out speed is going to matter because there's a lot of uh, straightaways on this track. The back straightaway between 11 and 12 is a DRS zone, and it's fast. Um, between 20, which is the home, like the the pit straight there with the finishing line between 20 and and the first corner is a bit another big flat-out space, and then. It, it, it almost all the way from one through eight, you're almost at full tilt anyway, because although it's that S curve, these guys take it at full, at full, full throttle. And it's very exciting. It is a very um, exciting track for like overtaking opportunities and for some competitive racing because it's just, it's laid out in that kind of way. There's some, some opportunities for it. Um, and look, we know who the driver's champion is, but we don't yet know how the constructors is going to all yeah. shake out. There's still a lot to be decided. Alpine and McLaren are still head to head. McLaren who had a great Singapore Grand Prix uh, watched Alpine come back and, and really, you know, deliver fantastically in Japan, especially as I said with Alonso, but Ocon also held Lewis off. So there's some, there's some great battles. Uh, yeah. If you're a fan of the sport to look down the table at, and all of these last four races are going to matter. And this is one of them. Haas and AlphaTauri are tied at 34. Like there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really close races here still for, uh, for these cars. Any, any big predictions here, Tyler? So Verstappen win, obviously. I mean, that's, I think you have to bank on that. I don't even know if they still allow you to bet on Verstappen winning. <laughs> um, but I think this is another, I, here you go. Hey, great. I think Tyler. McLaren gets more points than Alpine in this race. Oh, Okay. Hey. That'll be super interesting for fourth place. That's what you want to watch the, the rest of these races. Well, Ricardo always races McLaren. better in, in the States. It's his, it's his home. It's his home. Yeah, I'm <laughs> away from home. Do I have bold predictions? No. Yeah, is Latifi no going to make the podium? No. Latifi <laughs> will make the podium. I do think this is a track that um, we could see Mercedes b- bounce back on. They've done well on these kind of circuits. They've struggled on some of the slower corner turns uh, circuits, uh, obviously the street circuits, especially. I also agree with Tyler. I think McLaren has a better chance this track than Alpine does. I think it suits what they've been doing. Um, but I also think it's always interesting when once the champion has been crowned to see the strategies change. Red Bull now has to go fully yeah. into team mode. You're going to see them try really hard to put both of those two cars side by side on the grid qualifying right by each other so that they can kind of compete together. There's going to be some more strategy in terms of pit stops to hold off Ferrari. Mercedes is in the chase position still too with Ferrari. So it's interesting to see how that they, they make some decisions about what they're looking to do. Obviously, 
I mean, really Leclerc was half-heartedly still chasing a championship, but now that that's decided, I, I think again, everything kind of shifts and, and we have four more races, but they're, they're still important races in a lot of ways for a lot of these drivers. Um, they mean a lot to a few of them because it's, you know, we're, we're one race away from Mexico, which is going to mean a lot to Perez, obviously, again, to be at home. Um, if you recall, these last four races were all very friendly or almost all very friendly to Lewis last year. He lost in Austin, but he won in New Mexico or pardon me, in Mexico, old Mexico mm-hmm. and Brazil um, on his way to catching Max near the end. And I expect that Mercedes will continue to try to push forward. They're still making some modifications to their car. Um, Listen to a really interesting interview this week on a different podcast about uh, one of the the, the chief engineer at Mercedes uh, admitting that they identified what their major flaw was very early in the season, but it was the kind of flaw that they knew they weren't going to fix this year, but they know what it is. So they're making decisions about what else, um, they are developing uh, based on if they can fix that thing going into next year, they know they can be competitive again. So there's a lot of like there's strategy going on. There's a lot of stuff like that. So we'll see. Okay. For the record, the U S grand prix in Austin at the circuit of the Americas goes October 23rd, noon Pacific 1 PM mountain center time. Uh, thank you guys. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, you can Grab this podcast anywhere you access your podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe us on social media. There's merch. If you want merch, you can go to the ordinary podcast network.com, Jordan. <laughs> no, I got that one wrong, but it's something like that. <laughs> Ordinarypodcasts.com. Ordinarypodcast.com. <laughs> and we'll catch you after the US Grand Prix. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations and we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live create and share stories on these territories the ordinary podcasting network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination but a journey and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space